Good to see you guys. What a full house today. You guys look good. Turn to your neighbor and say, you look good. You look good. Hey, those of you back in uh, the community room, welcome to you guys. I understand there are people back there. Those of you who are watching online, welcome. Great to see all of you here today. I want to encourage you to sponsor a child. You just saw that video. For those of you who are new to Abundant Life, Abundant Life Church has planted two churches down in Ecuador, one about three years ago and one this year. And every time we do that, we rescue 200 children out of poverty in each church. And so next Sunday, Mother's Day, will be an opportunity for you to sponsor a child. And we have 200 children who are from that community and in this new church that we want to sponsor. And so if you haven't sponsored a child and you're not sure what that's all about, come see me. I'd love to talk to you about it. And I just encourage you to do that. Today we are starting, or not starting, but continuing a series that we started last week called God Never Said That. And in this series, we're looking at some of the myths that are sometimes attributed to God, some things that people say or that we say the Bible says and, and attribute it or assign it to God, but yet he never said that. For example, last week, we looked at the um, misconception that, um, that God will never give you any more than you can handle. How many of you have discovered in life that oftentimes the world throws at you more than you can handle? Okay, a, a lot of us do, okay? Certainly more than have just raised their hands. Let me just ask that question one more time. How many of you have discovered that God sometimes allows things in your life as more than you can handle? Yeah, that, that happens all the time. And I believe that God allows that to happen for a couple of reasons. One, so that we will learn to lean into his presence. God wants us to draw close to him. He wants us to lean into his presence. And it's in his presence that we discover that security. And it's in his presence that we discover that peace. And so he says to draw close to him. I think another reason God allows us to have more than we can handle is because he wants to teach you and me to call upon his supernatural power in our life. Because many times we go through life and we think we can do it all on our own. And it's only in the difficult moments of life do we stop long enough to call on God. We get on our knees and we call on God. And if that's what it takes to drive us to our knees, then okay, God, drive me to my knees because I depend upon your power. And we discover that his grace is sufficient, right? His grace is sufficient in our time of need and that his power is made perfect where and when? In our weakness, exactly. Now, today we're looking at another one of those phrases that sometimes people will attribute to God, and it's a dangerous one. It's one that is very popular, and it's the phrase, God wants me to be happy. God wants me to be happy. Now, I would like to tell you with all of my heart that God's highest aim for you, his biggest desire for you is that you would be happy. And that no day would ever bring you problems, that every day would be perfect, every day would be like a little tiptoe through the tulips, and every day would be like a picnic, and, and you'd have no problems, no challenges, everything would just be fine, and because God wants you to be happy. I could even prove it from scripture. I, I could convince you if I wanted to, because there are people out there who say, you know, God, that's his, his, that's his aim for you to be happy. But you look at a verse like Psalm 97, verse 12. May all who are godly, what's it say? 
Be happy, okay? If, if you're godly, be happy. But when you and I begin to believe this myth that above all else, God wants you and me to be happy, what happens is it opens the door to other beliefs that are deadly beliefs. And I see it happen all the time. For example, and this is kind of like a little theology of happiness. If, if I believe that above all else, God wants me to be happy, then eventually, this is what I'm going to believe. I will believe if it makes me happy, then it must be right. And you can finish the rest of that, can't you? If it makes me unhappy, then it must be wrong. If it makes me happy, then it must be right. And if it makes me unhappy, then it must be wrong. So therefore, if I'm in a situation where I'm unhappy, well, that's not right because after all, God wants me to be happy. And so I bolt, I leave, I move. I, I, and, and what happens is people run from stuff all the time. We hear it in songs, don't we? If, if you were to take a moment and, and go back and think about some of the songs, even through history, some of the great uh, artists, they, they have they kind of put forth this, this whole belief that it can't be wrong if it feels so right. How many of you remember um, Elvis Presley? Okay, a lot of you are old enough to remember Elvis Presley. Listen to the words of this song right here. You just want to shake your leg, don't you? <laughs> I do. I do. Among other things, which I'm not going to do up here. If it feels so right, I mean, how can it be wrong? How can it be wrong? You remember Debbie Boone? Debbie Boone, you know, goes back, you know, Pat Boone's daughter, I believe it was. Listen to uh, this. Of course, of course she's right. It can't be wrong when it feels so right, right? <laughs> or, or then there's Cheryl Crow, okay? Remember Cheryl Crow? And, and she... Hey, if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad, can it? And you see, so if I believe that, you know, God's highest aim is my happiness, then, you know, I'm going to begin to believe that if it, if it makes me happy, it's got to be right. And if it doesn't make me happy, then it must be wrong. Here's something else that it will lead you to believe. It will, it'll lead me to believe that if something is not going right, then it must not be God's will. If it's not going right, then it must not be God's will. And so we believe then that discomfort or, or pain or uh, interruptions or delay, uh, problems that come along, well, that can't be right because, you know, that's not God's will. This is too, too difficult because after all, God wants me to be happy. And so we begin to believe then if something isn't going right, that's not God's will. And so we stop working on the relationship or, or we, we leave a church or whatever. And I see people do these kinds of things all the time because it, it just, you know, it, it can't be right if it's, if, if it's this difficult. Number three, if I believe that above all else, God wants me to be happy, then eventually I will begin to worship false gods. 
And some of you might be thinking, George, I think maybe you're taking this one just a little bit too far. I mean, what do you mean worship false gods? Well, if God's highest aim for you is happiness, then what will happen eventually is I'll begin to worship false gods like prosperity or pleasure or comfort or those kinds of things. I'll begin to, to worship these things and I'll begin to chase after these things. And, and so and, and what we have to understand is that the, the bottom line is that, that if, if I think God wants me to be happy, you reduce all of that down. Eventually, you have to come to this conclusion. And, and here's the big problem. Now God exists to serve me. Now, all of a sudden, God exists to serve me. If, if God's ultimate goal for me is to be happy, then I reduce him down to a formula, and I've got it all figured out. And if he wants me to be happy, so this is how it works. So I, I pray, and, and I start going to church, and I start giving money in the offering. Um, I, I, I avoid the neighbor's cat driving through the neighborhood when I could have easily run over it. I help the old lady across the street. And so I, I do all these things, and now, God, the agreement is that the headaches go away or I get the dream house, or I get the job, or I find the right spouse, or and on and on and on. Because we've reduced God down to a formula. And so if you think it's all about making you happier, then when you aren't happier, what happens is it forces us to believe that it doesn't work. And so what happens then is we, is, is we find people turning from God, leaving God for all of the wrong reasons. Not that there are any right reasons to, to leave God, mind you, but for all of the wrong reasons, people are, are, are leaving God. They'll say something like, well, I tried church and it didn't make me happier. I tried praying and it didn't make me happier. I, I tried the religious thing. I tried the God thing and it didn't make me happier. In fact, I did all that stuff and the cancer is back my kids still rebel. I lost my job. I'm not any better financially. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. And those are the conclusions that we draw when we believe that it's all about God making us happy. Now, I want you to understand something. Even though it's not God's highest aim for you to be happy, God does delight in your happiness. God finds pleasure in your happiness. I think one of the best ways to understand the relationship that we have between God is to look at the relationship between a, a, a dad and a child, a parents and children. For example, I've raised two boys and I remember when they played sports. And I remember Justin when he played soccer and uh, whenever he would score a goal, uh, you know, he would get really excited about that. And I'm a dad. What do you do as a dad when you're off on the sideline? I mean, you're like, yeah, yeah, man, that's my son. Way to go. That's awesome. And, and I'm happy because he's happy. He scored a goal, right? But his happiness is not my highest aim as a father. Because after scoring the goal, if he runs by the opposing bench and flips them all off, <laughs> now all of a sudden, his happiness is not my highest aim. Even though my disposition or sometimes our disposition toward God is, wait a minute, God, you know, you should be happy because after all, your highest aim for me is my happiness regardless of what I do. 
You see, it just doesn't make, make sense. But God does delight in my happiness. And so here's the question for us today. If, if God doesn't want me to pursue happiness, then what does he want me to pursue? What does he want me to pursue? And I'll bet you can answer this question. God wants me to pursue him. God wants me to pursue him. Now, some of you think, okay, I get it. I get it now. God wants me to pursue him so I can be happy. No, no, not exactly. Not exactly. God wants you to pursue him, period. God wants you to pursue him and him alone and not for what you can get out of God. He wants you just to simply pursue him. So today I want to dispel this myth and I want to show you two reasons why God does not want your happiness to be the highest pursuit of your life. Here's number one. God does not want happiness to be my highest pursuit when I'm pursuing something that is unwise or wrong. And I see this happen all the time. And God does not want me to pursue happiness when I'm pursuing something that's unwise. When I was a, just a little kid growing up, I was raised outside of Richmond, Virginia, and I was raised out in the country, and uh, behind my house were a forest and trees and woods and, and all of these uh, uh, trenches where the Civil War was fought. I mean, it literally was fought like in, in my backyard. And I remember on Sundays after church, um, my friend Donnie and I, and sometimes Mark, we would go back into the woods, and there was another church that met, you know, back on a country road, and, and just across the street from these trenches that we would play in, and they always got out a whole lot later than we did, and, and, and so they got out like around one o'clock or two o'clock, and so we would gather up rocks, and when they would come out of the church, we'd be hiding in the trenches, and, and you know, they'd come out, we'd stand up, and we'd chuck a rock at them, and we'd, we'd sit there and go, <laughs> you know, and we'd throw rocks at them, and then eventually, you know, they'd spot one of us, and they'd come chasing us and, and through the woods, and so we'd take off running and all that stuff. We were laughing, and we were having a good time. It made us happy to do that, but, but I would say it's probably unwise that, that we did that. When I grew up uh, a little bit uh, older and now I'm a teenager and I'm driving, we used to race cars on the highway all the time because we were out in the country and there was a place called Broadus Flats about 10 miles from my house. And uh, my fr I, I didn't have a really fast car, but my friend had a 440 GTO, had a her shifter, and he let me take that thing out. Oh my gosh, that thing was fast. And we'd race this thing out on the highway, out in the country. I mean, we were having a blast. I mean, it was, it was a hoot to do that. And, and we had a lot of fun, but it was unwise. But it made us happy to, to do that. You know, you get a little bit older, and, and what I see happening in our culture today many times is um, couples will oftentimes choose to live together before uh, getting married. And it's pretty common these days. And, and oftentimes it's, it's because they say, well... I don't know, we just, we just need to figure out, you know, would we be happy together, you know, to do that? Because after all, God wants us to be happy. Uh, or I've done more weddings than you could shake a stick at. And every so often, I'll come across a couple that I performed a wedding for, or at least one of them, and I'll say, hey, how's it going? Uh, how's, how's everything with the marriage? And all they say, eh, we, we, we broke it off and, and we're divorced and all that. I say, oh, man, I am so sorry to hear that, you know. 
How come? What went wrong? We, you know, we just weren't happy. We, we just weren't happy. And, and I want you to know something. I'm a pastor, and I love people. I care about people. I care about you. I, I love you, and I, I want what's best for you. And believe me, I'm not saying any of this to try to induce guilt to make you feel bad for something maybe you've done in the past or maybe are currently involved in. But this is, this is my heart for you. And, and, and as I'm talking to you, believe me, I'm always preaching to me, by the way. Whenever I preach to you, I'm always preaching to me. So just understand that. But I see it happen all the time that, that people will, will do things um, because they come to the conclusion, you know what, after all, you know, I've got to be happy. God wants me to be happy. And it's a false conclusion to come to. And people will empower themselves by that belief and end up doing things that they shouldn't do, that they're unwise uh, or they're wrong. Because we think God wants us to be happy. And they don't bring us happiness, do they? They, they, they just don't. And, and so you look at a verse like this in Proverbs 14 where the writer says, you know, there's a way of life that it looks harmless enough. It look, you know, look again, sure, the, those people appear to be having a good time, but all of that laughter will end in heartbreak. And I think here's the fundamental problem. We, what God really desires for us is, is holiness, but, but we've kind of shifted that to think it's happiness. And so we'll take a verse like this that comes out in 1 Peter, where Peter says, now, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. You know, you may not go in your Bible and mark that out, but sometimes we live our life from the perspective, well, I think God wants me to be happy. So just as, you know, I think God's a happy God. And so, you know, just as he's happy, then I think I probably ought to be happy in all that I do too. And we just kind of have that little subtle shift. Now, I just want you to hold that thought about holiness for just a moment, and we'll come back to it. Here's the second one. God does not want happiness to be my highest pursuit when it is only based on the things of this world. He doesn't want happiness to be my highest pursuit when it is only based on all the things that this world has to offer me. If, if you look at much TV and if you watch commercials, you'll find probably um, um, funny things, a lot, lots of things that the world says that you need to have in order to be happy. And usually it has something to do with what you wear or what you drive or what you live in or something like that, right? And so if you, if you kind of peel everything back and you look uh, at the formula that the world says you need to be happy, it would probably look something like this. Better possessions plus peaceful circumstances plus exciting experiences plus perfect appearance plus right relationships <laughs> equal ultimate happiness. Is anybody here happy? You're thinking, uh, check. <laughs> I got maybe one, you know? But the world says that all the time. If I can just have better possessions, if I can have newer, shinier, faster, bigger, if I can just have peaceful circumstances, you know, if, if, you know in other words, if there's conflict in a relationship, well, this, this isn't good. I, I need to have peace, and so I'm going to go to another one. And so what, what I see happening all the time is people will leave conflicting situations without having worked on themselves, and all they end up doing is taking that themselves to the next situation. Because this is what I've discovered. This is a profound truth. Wherever you are, there you are. 
And somehow the problems just keep chasing you around. And, and then exciting experiences. And again, nothing wrong with experiences. You know, I'm going to be taking a vacation coming up here. And nothing wrong with experiences. But if you're you know, taking experiences because you think, well, that's going to be fine. What's going to give me happiness? Perfect appearance. You know, uh, it, I think people ought to eat right. I think people should exercise. I think that's good. But, you know, if you think, you know, when you finally get the perfect appearance, then you'll be happy. And then the right relationship. Well, this one's not right. So I think I'll go to that one. Well, that one's not right either. So I, I guess I'll go to, oh, that one's not right either. So I'll go to another one. And we jump from one thing to the other. And, and what you discover is that none of these things make you happy. Why? Because they're all based on happenings. And happenings change. These things, they just change all the time. And the best word I can use to describe all of these things is counterfeit. They're counterfeit. And what counterfeit things do is they overpromise and they underdeliver. They do. We, we think, you know, if I can get the possession, I'm going to be happy. And it overpromises and then you get it. It's like, ah, that was, I'm not so happy after all. And then you could say that about any of these things. And it's counterfeit. When I think of something counterfeit, what I was thinking about in preparing this message was, you ever seen those fake $20 bills or $100 bills, something like this one right here? Some well-meaning Christian will, will throw one of these things down on the ground or something like that, and you open it up and you go, oh, man, what a bummer. I thought it was $20. And if somebody says, well, don't be fooled. You know, there's something you can have that's more valuable than money. It's like, oh, tell me what Jesus is. I want to accept Jesus, you know. I don't like that. I don't like that. Especially when you leave it as a tip, okay? If you ever do that, Okay. Oh, man, don't, don't. Listen, I, I don't think anybody at the Abundant Life Church would do that. Okay? But if you do, stop it. Okay? Stop it, stop it, stop it. Okay? Just stop it. Okay? There's a whole lot better ways of sharing your love for Jesus than fooling somebody and tricking somebody and thinking, here's a $20 bill, sucker. You know? By the way, Jesus loves you. Okay? Just stop it. Just, just stop that, okay? That's a whole other sermon. I've got to get off of that. Just, just a whole other sermon. But it's counterfeit. It's counterfeit. And, and so the, the problem is all of these things that overpromise, underdeliver. Listen to 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. It's from the message. Here the writer says, don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love, love of the world, it squeezes out the love for the Father, Practically, everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from Him. The world and all of its wanting and wanting and wanting is on the way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. You can paraphrase that, but whoever does what God wants is going to be happy. In fact, you'll be more than happy. So here's the million dollar question. If happiness is not God's highest aim for my life, then what is? And that's a good question. God's highest call on your life, it's not your happiness, but it's your holiness. It's your holiness. Now, let me ask you a question. When, when I say God's highest aim for you is holiness, how many of you get a picture in your mind right away of, of maybe drab clothing? Or maybe, you know, you can't wear any makeup, ladies, or, or you have to put your hair in a bun. And, and I'm, not, I'm not opposed to people who may be dressed that way. That, that's cool. That's all right if it, that works for them. Uh, but sometimes people, you know, say holiness is like, you know, you have a scowl on your face all the time. You can never laugh. You know, you're the, you're the person who throws a wet blanket over everybody's fun and all that stuff. And, and if that's like holiness, it's like, I don't, I don't think I want to be holy. 
you know? Well, I'm not sure that's what holiness is all about. In fact, I don't have a lot of time to talk about this, but, but the word holy actually is an interesting word. It's the word kadesh, and this is in your, in your life notes. It means to be clean or to make clean. It means to, to be sanctified. So think about that. The first time the word holy was ever used in the Bible was when Moses stood before the burning bush. I was just in uh, Sinai Desert about three weeks ago, and, and I was at this monastery, and this is referred to as the burning bush. It's very interesting that this, that this type of bush you can't find anywhere else in Egypt, and this is in the middle. It's at the base of the Mount Sinai, and I took my shoes off, and... Um, I thought that was kind of cool to take my shoes off right there before the burning bush, kind of a Moses moment kind of thing. But when Moses encountered the burning bush and the, the holiness of God, I mean, it changed his life forever. And when you and I begin to encounter the holiness of God, it begins to change our life forever as well. So, so what, does it, what does it all mean? It, it can be complicated, but let me just try to make it really simple. When I think of holiness, I think of really three aspects. I think of my justification, I think of sanctification, and then I think of, of glorification. And, and we've talked about this before, but I want to focus kind of on the justification part. Because when, when you come to the place in your life where you realize that Jesus really is your highest pursuit, that God is your highest pursuit, and you step across the line of faith and you give your heart to Jesus and you invite Jesus to be your Lord, then he becomes your savior and it's his blood that covers our sin and it's at that moment that you're justified that you're made right the easy way to remember justified is just as if I'd never sinned and so that's 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 your holiness right there and then as you're living life how many of you have discovered that you haven't arrived yet that sometimes you don't live up to what you'd like to in terms of following Jesus you know you make mistakes you stumble and all that stuff well that part's sanctification and that's an ongoing work of God's spirit in your life he takes the ups and the downs the good the bad the sin all that stuff and he works and he's sanctifying you to the point that when Jesus returns, you'll be glorified and you'll be made perfect. But this holiness, it really is, has more to do with this, this, this surrender of my life to following Jesus Christ. Because I've come to understand that I can have everything else the world has to offer me. But if I don't have Jesus, I'm going to feel empty and you'll never be happy. But if you have Jesus, you don't have to have any of that other stuff and you'll feel fulfilled and you'll feel complete and you'll feel happy. And so, and so that's, that's the difference. I, I love it in 2 Corinthians where Paul describes it this way. He says, God made him who's Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us, to become our sin, take our place so that in him, in Jesus, we might become what? What's that word? The righteousness. We might be made right, be sanctified, be made clean before God. And so it's my pursuit of God. You see, God does not want you to be happy as much as he wants you to be blessed. And it's the presence of Jesus in our life that is a blessed life. Jesus said in John chapter 10, and this is the verse from which we get our name of our church. He says, the thief's purpose is to steal and is to kill and is to destroy. But he says, my purpose is to give them not a, not a happy life, but a rich and a satisfying life. And what that really means is to come to full completion. It means to, to be made complete in Jesus Christ. In other words, apart from Jesus, you'll never be happy. You'll never be happy. In fact, you'll always be searching for something to give meaning and purpose to life, and you'll never find it. And the very things that you're chasing after will, will elude you. The thing you're chasing for happiness, and you'll never find it. 
Because God's ultimate purpose for you isn't to be happy. God's ultimate purpose is for you to be holy. You can only be holy in Jesus Christ. When he takes over your life and you surrender all of your life to him, you begin trusting him. And when you begin to trust him, now you have more than happiness. You have peace. You have joy, which is way better than happiness could ever be. But it comes by surrendering your heart to Jesus, saying, Lord Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to stumble along the way, but I know you forgive me. I know you give me another chance. But my heart's desire, my, my chief goal in life, God, it isn't to be happy. It's not to have the biggest house. It's not to have the most money. It's not to drive the nicest car. It's not to have the perfect appearance. It's, it's not all about that because life is just not going to be perfect that way for you. It just isn't. Life's tough. Life's difficult. And that's why you and I desperately need Jesus Christ in our life. Because once you find Jesus, then you realize, I've got everything I need. I'm more than happy. I'm more than happy. And I can have that stuff or I cannot have that stuff. And it really doesn't matter. Because I go beyond happiness to joy and to peace and to purpose and to meaning and to security. All of those things that Jesus gives to us that none of that other stuff could ever give to us. I'm going to ask you if you'd bow your head and as we close out today, as we pray, some of you here uh, have never given your heart to Jesus and, and maybe you've thought about it, but you've never taken the step. Maybe today would be the day that you would say, I'm going to step across the line of faith and I'm going to surrender my heart to Jesus. I'm going to open my life to him. I'm going to surrender all of who I am to all that who he is. Today, if that's your desire, I'm going to ask if you would pray with me this prayer as we close out. If your desire is to respond to Jesus this way, and if you have already chosen to follow Jesus, would you also join with me in this prayer? So would you just repeat this after me? Father in heaven, today I thank you for Jesus. Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my Savior. All of my hope is found in you. All of my peace is found in you. All of my joy is found in you. I surrender my life to you and I choose to follow you and I choose to pursue you above everything else. I pray this in your name. Amen.